0: When the conservatives start attacking, buy the dip, wait a few months, they're going to forget that they were attacking, and then the thing will just come back to whatever. It's just come come back to whatever it was before the attack started. That is what the purpose of this is. I'm going to first of all say I do not condone this strategy. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. This is the Alternatives Era.
1: (laughs) We're deep in the weeds. No one has seen that except for me and you, but man, is that terrible.
0: Here's here's what I can't figure out what it is. Because I say, if you're not cool, just embrace that fact, and I can't tell whether or not the the people over at Blackstone
1: making this video is embracing that fact, or if they're trying to be cool. This video is bad, and we will include it in the the weekly materials on the Substack for you guys. What was like the main course, Douglas? It was like we buy stuff and make it better. Yeah, we buy assets. It's this is the alternatives era. Mm-hmm. We buy assets and make them better. And then they had the "We're Blackstone, not BlackRock" joke. J- j- let's just be clear, okay?
0: If you don't want to be confused with BlackRock, don't name your company Blackstone.
1: I don't know which one was around first, but I watched the stupid video and then I went, "Oh, maybe I was thinking of BlackRock the whole time." It just made me way more confused. I was <laughs> no, like, "Wait, which?" True.
0: Yeah, when, when they
1: said that, I was evil like, asset <laughs> manager is <laughs> yeah. this? Like, I can't even figure it out right now.
0: Yeah, it was the same for me when they said that. I was like, "Oh, actually, I thought I was watching a BlackRock <laughs> video."
1: Like, I. Yeah. Like, are you buying everyone's suburban homes or are you like, what, what exactly are you doing right now? <laughs> the, the hubris of saying we buy stuff and make it better is yeah, that yeah. was what got me. Like, yeah, that's insane. In most cases you buy stuff, add leverage. So <laughs> make it better is a very cool. interesting take. You might make it more profitable if it doesn't blow up. Is that better? What isn't better with leverage? Every like everything <laughs> is better without leverage.
0: Oh, okay. Oh. Oh. Okay. Never mind.
1: You're the one that went off on private equity three years ago.
0: I did. Oh, I yeah. know. I know. And that's the that's the heart of their alternatives. Part of the alternatives they're talking about are hedging and PEs and all the all the stuff.
1: I always wonder, and and I don't want to live in these times, but let's rewind to two hundred or three hundred years ago in the 1700s when there's not that much like economic capital available to create leverage it seems like there were aspects of that financial market that were a better time am i crazy uh, say, say that one more time 1700s if you rewind a a long time back when there's less liquidity available to lever everything up yep is that better i mean i guess the argument against it is then there's not debt available for people to. To grow, to buy your, to pay for your mortgage, to do whatever. But wait, else, we're right? so we're we're gonna talk about this a little bit more
0: later. Like we're we're gonna touch on the same concept because it's not the tool itself is not inherently bad. You can do good things with it, but it's also very easily misused. So I don't know if it's it it, it, it So you're asking me. I was saying it depends on who you ask. You're asking me. I think that being able to have debt as an instrument is net good or it does it does a lot of good yeah like there are people that you wouldn't be able to get capital that you couldn't get otherwise in
1: many circumstances without it no you're right that was a stupid take on my half let's just take it back um all right can we hit that jingle deagles and can we talk some listener mail yes sir All right. You got to walk me through this. You, you got to tell me what's happening with this listener mail here. All right. So we got listener mail here from Henry. And this listener
0: mail picks up a tweet. And the concept here, so I, first of all, I, I took this as a as something to laugh at. Okay. Just to be clear. And so I didn't, but maybe I'm wrong on the laughter. So what this tweet is, and it's a long name here. It's a tweet is from Mom said it's my
1: turn with the lathe of heaven. (laughs) Is is who this tweet is from? I think the proper (laughs) response is going to be to laugh at this tweet based on (laughs) those users. Exactly,
0: exactly. So it says, developing an investment portfolio where I buy the dip on companies that conservatives are attacking and then sell a few months later when they've forgotten their outreach campaign. And the image that's shown in this is from Anheuser-Busch. So you might recall that a few months ago, back in I want to say it was like May something like that. Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light specifically within the Anheuser-Busch umbrella came out in support, I believe of a I think it was a transgender a spokesperson and then they got crushed. So for that for that take. And you can see in this image they have of the Anheuser-Busch uh InBev SA stock chart that around that time the stock just started cratering. So from let's call it May to roughly november a lot of creating cratering and it was just attack after attack after attack on how anheuser-busch was was no bueno and then what this is saying and there's eventually people just forget they're on to the next thing and yeah so, it went
1: all the way down to like 52 bucks a share from yeah, say exactly. 66 and now it's back at 63 yeah so so what it's saying is when the conservatives start
0: attacking buy the dip, wait a few months, they're going to forget that they were attacking. And then the thing will just come back to whatever some I call it mean reversion. It's just come, come, come back to whatever it was before the attack started. That is what the purpose of this is this. I'm going to, first of all, say I do not condone this strategy. <laughs> do we have to say that? I thought that was obvious, <laughs> <laughs> but found it to be humorous. So just found it to be a humorous thing. That's well,
1: it. and you could probably do this on both sides of the political aisle. There's always some some outrage on either side uh i don't know yeah i don't don't know if it's quite
0: the same because i feel like on the other side nancy pelosi is buying the assets (laughs) of these organizations no too soon
1: it's all too soon who's the (laughs) elizabeth warren is worth like 60 million dollars but her salary is 280k like yeah, I'm sure that just randomly showed up at your door. It's not insider stock trading. Yeah,
0: the only person that seems like they have not gotten into this is Mike Johnson.
1: <laughs> which, which maybe we should be concerned about. Like Maybe <laughs> if you are a C-plus representative, you should be worth hundreds of millions of dollars from your insider stock <laughs> yeah, trading. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All, all right. right, I'm just going to laugh it off rather than talk about the tax consequences rather than talk about <laughs> all these yeah. other things. I actually started doing some analysis on this and was like, huh? <laughs> all right, so yeah, that's you did.
0: You did 55 years of back tests to try uh, and see. Pretty
1: much, yeah. and was yeah. like, no, wokeism is not a good investment strategy or anti-wokeism, whatever we'll call this. All right, fishbowl time? Yeah, I want to hear about your boy.
0: Ooh, now I have to, I have to choose my stories <laughs> <laughs> correctly here. I'm going to reach into the fishbowl to talk about this business insider piece that came out, Ray Elon Musk. Uh, And Ray, I meant as regarding, I'm not changing his name to Ray Elon Musk. Uh, So regarding Elon Musk, it says Elon Musk has run out of luck is what this is about. And what it's saying here is that finally, finally, all these bets that Elon's been making are coming to a head. That's the general premise of the piece. I'm gonna give, I'll give a few highlights from it. Want to get your take, which I hope isn't just I don't care because I can already see where where your take. No, comes I'm from.
1: gonna let you spit on it because I actually think even if his luck runs out and things blow up, I think there's maybe some positive lessons here. But I'm not sure Could that be. that's going to be your take. Could be. Well, we'll see. So. It starts off by saying from 2019
0: to 2021. So there was this three-year period. that's very cherry-picked, by the way. But this three-year period that everything was going in the right direction for Elon and his empire. Tesla, profitable, consistently, for the first time, right? Its stock was taking off the Jeezy Wheezies. We talk about, about our girl Kathy sometimes and how she was so concentrated in, a, in a Tesla, served her well. Shanghai. Was starting to take off. We'll touch on that a little bit later. It's Shanghai production plant. SpaceX was doing amazing. I love, I love this uh, line from it. It says, "Even when they blew up, everyone still clapped." Talking about SpaceX's rockets, it was just everything was going the right direction. 2021, Elon got Times Person of the Year. Mm-hmm. So, good job, Elon. Rewind the clock back a little bit to the year before that, 2018. Saying 2018 less good. So. The model three was having a whole bunch of production issues. Uh, it was, it was supposed to be this like EV car for the masses, but couldn't quite get out the production in a way that was able to take advantage of the demand. Was coming, uh, this is when Elon had tweeted out that he was going to take Tesla private. <laughs> if, you, if you recall, SEC not, a yeah, big didn't he of that. say
1: like offer on the table or something? Yeah, getting trouble 420, SEC. at 420, yeah, of course.
0: Uh, yeah. Elon. Executives started leaving the company, et cetera, et cetera. And this is where, as I as I said, we're gonna go back to China for a second. So you had all these production issues, and then Elon struck a deal with the Chinese government that they could build a Shanghai production plant. And what this flagged, I don't remember this. What this flagged though is that it went from permitting to construction to opening within 168 days. That is a ridiculous
1: <laughs> time. things you can only do in China. I mean, yeah. when they were in the COVID days, when they were like, I think they built a, a, it was kind of a temporary hospital, but it was like a hospital outside of a hospital in like 72 hours and it yeah. had 10,000 beds or something. It's just insane. Yeah, it's wild. Absolutely wild. What they can do over there. When you focus, well, you and focus. You get rid of all the red tape, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just yeah gets you are the red tape. Down. Yeah. Like, let's yeah, yeah, do right? this now.
0: So now you come to today. It's saying that he's the second wealthiest person in the world, but it seems like he's cash poor. He doesn't take a that salary from true. Tesla. That may be true. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't take a salary from Tesla, owns roughly 20% of the, of the company. Um, and it shows that about 63% of the shares in Tesla are pledged as collateral for personal nonsense stuff <laughs> right personal nonsense who knows what this nonsense is and nonsense is not the technical term that's written in the document but that, that's what's going on so then what does this all mean what does it equate to and why is this piece saying that his luck may have finally run out what it's saying is that there's so much of of the future that is bet upon tesla stock like as his source of cash for all things like he just pledges tesla stock and so it's gotten to this place according to this piece It's gotten to this place where the only way for him to get cash is to sell tesla stock but if he sells tesla stock it's going to freak out other people which is going to make the stock then go down below a trigger mechanism which is going to cause him to repay debts and so it's saying he's in this this quandary i don't know the mechanics of this and like what all the detail is but that's what it's kind of stating is happening and then it's saying that he's then resorted when tesla stock wouldn't be the option he resorts to then borrowing against uh, spacex which he's borrowed a billion dollars from Uh, recently and is not a profitable uh, organization and so this is the this is the quandary that it's saying so has his luck finally run out and it's saying he's potentially in this place where you're stuck between rocks and hard places and something really has to go well in order for success to ensue pause
1: i think uh elon's playing chess and you're just thinking in the checkers game here Oh. oh yeah okay i think maybe he bought twitter slash x to burn more money because he's realized that being the world's richest person is no fun. He's trying to take care of that. Okay, well, like I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to a different direction. Okay, first of all, Elon, PSA here. If you sell like a billion bucks of stock and we just do a value investment portfolio, you're gonna be good for life. So just, let's just take a billion out now so you don't have to worry about your cash. Here's where I go with this. He's kind of crazy, usually crazy in a good way. <laughs> yeah. It, if i would have told you in 2018 during all that you walked through the personal crises he's having at at tesla that the model y would be the best-selling car in the world yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. right now i mean you would have said no way that's insane he has built his entire career and really i think his entire life on taking insane bets and he's had enough of those insane bets that he actually at one time was the world's richest person yep but He's not about, I don't think, I think this author did a, actually, this is a really fun piece because it's well thought out and it's true. Like he has so much debt tied up in Tesla that he can't have the stock price go too low or his entire financial world unravels and unravels quickly. Yep. But at the same point, I don't think he cares. I think his entire life is one big bet after one big bet and he expects it to like he never expected to be a, the world's richest person but also at any point this is not um this is not Allen iverson right this is not an nba player who's going to make 100 million dollars yeah, yeah. and yep. then be struggling to pay the bills like he's never going to struggle to pay the bills in my opinion i think he's a little too financially savvy to do that and this is par- partially to
0: your point is where as I mentioned when I was saying that the 2019 to 2021 time period was cherry picked,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that he's been in the game for close to 30 years, not quite. Yeah. And so it's when you just take that three year period and say, this was a period in which everything was going in the right direction. You ignore like what he built and then got bought by PayPal, then the sale of PayPal, then the start of like how he bailed uh, Tesla out in 2008. They mentioned that briefly, but there's just like a lot of, of stuff that, uh, That you kind of skip there i think that it is as you mentioned i think the piece is thought-provoking and interesting and fun for that Mm -hmm. perspective and elon will be okay like almost no matter what
1: elon will be okay okay is he handling his finances slash businesses in a responsible textbook way for the past 24 months no there's no Michael Mobison, um, Warren Buffett. Name your brilliant financial guru. No one would have done what Elon has done. I'm gonna say in the past 36 months, even with like yeah. Yeah. his assets, no one would have done this. But also, none of those people are Elon Musk. So it just goes back to the everything goes back to the Kanye quote. Like if you want music from a crazy person, it might actually come from a crazy person. I'm paraphrasing there, but. He's not he's not running by a playbook here. He's doing whatever he
0: wants. I mean, he's building a company that's supposed to take us to Mars at the same time while building the EV car market, while at the same time building tunnels in like
1: California. And like this is there's no playbook. Uh, I mean, and according to him, building a free speech platform and telling his advertisers to go away. None of it makes sense. I hadn't thought about this until now, but it's ironic
0: when you're building a free speech platform and then decide to charge for it. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of things
1: that are ironic about it's, it. It seems Musk. more like a paid speech platform. <laughs> Just saying, I I said it in his words there. Yeah, yeah, I like this one. I mean, all I know is if Elon Musk wanted to take my financial advice, he wouldn't have one of the most admired car companies is in the world. The, the SpaceX thing is a joke. They said people clapped when it explodes. Well, some of them are supposed to explode yeah, because exactly. he's taking so an learn. entirely different path to build rockets than And, and he's doing that because he wants to make it economically viable. Like it's interesting. Yep. It's just his, my playbook is never going to be right for him and he doesn't care, but, At this point I'm kinda like, I'm gonna watch and if it all blows up, that'll be a good story. And if it doesn't, I'm kinda surprised that it didn't three years ago. You know, like it's amazing. You're you're owning parts
0: of tow truck companies, grocery stores, and like discounted shoe
1: manufacturers or whatever. (laughs) I'm not buying Tesla or SpaceX. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, what you got in the fishbowl? All right. Who's your who's your favorite NBA franchise, Deagles? franchise bulls bulls figured have you followed what's happening what's happened in atlanta in the past five years 2017 there was this brand new development you got to find the exact name is the battery it's in cobb county it's a 672 million dollar ballpark anchored by 1.3 million in mixed-use development funded by with 300 million in public financing it is called the Battery Atlanta. There we go. This is similar to what happened in L.A. with uh, the Los Angeles Rams stadium, and it's the latest hot thing in uh, North American franchises. Not only do you need a stadium, you need an economic development area around the stadium, right? So this first came to my attention because Berkshire Hathaway, believe it or not, this, uh, this Battery Atlanta, is a publicly traded investment no it's not in the us yeah what's the ticker it is uh this is from memory b-a-t-r-a i'll pull it up too. atlanta, atlanta Braves, Braves, Braves holding company whoa company, right so for the longest time and it, listen i own part of madison square garden because that's a publicly traded stock and you get the basketball team the hockey team don't get me started Douglas. i see you shaking your head over there you get madison square garden which how are they going to ever build another Madison Square Garden in New York City? The problem is it's run, it's still run by the Dolan family. So it's not like they print money as they should, but it's a valuable yeah. asset in my opinion. Um, again, research recommendation, not investment advice. Uh, I've been playing around with this Atlanta Bridge holding company uh, because I believe it was Ted or Todd from Berkshire. But they bought this thing a while back. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize it was public because they traded. Yeah, it's uh, doubled, doubled since it went public. has doubled. I still haven't done a super deep dive. I can't make sense of the financials. And I'm not convinced yet that it's a good investment for me. But I bring this all up because apparently, if you believe this article in Bloomberg by Kristen Caps, it uh, came out December 16th. It breaks down that Atlanta development to a proposal in Alexandria, Virginia. Called Potomac Yard. So, this is the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals who currently play at arena in downtown DC. And that arena was built in 1997. This is all near and dear to my heart because I, I traveled to Alexandria some. Oh, okay. So, the proposal is a $2.2 billion sports and entertainment complex. And the debate going on is all right but let's just look at all sides of this. People will tell you it's the death of downtown DC because do you know how many restaurants and other facilities live on the 85 dates a year that you get 20,000 people to yeah. migrate to a stadium? To true drink, talk. You know, eat at your restaurants and everything else. But the governor of Virginia, who's a really hot name and may be a presidential candidate at some point, Glenn Youngkin uh, has worked with the owner of these franchises. I, I'm going into too much detail. I'll try and get to the point. But, to try and bring that development and those eighty five high value dates over to Virginia, even though it's only a subway right away, it still like feels light years away when something moves out of your metropolitan area to a suburban place in another state, right? It's it, in, <laughs> in ways I'm trying to think of a parallel. but in ways it's like you know, if the Kansas City chiefs actually move across state lines, think of what that changes for tax revenue everything else
0: well but even even if it doesn't leave the state from the point of consumers being able to make it there i don't know what the economics look like but i can i can imagine that you have the the 49ers who are at Mm -hmm. candlestick which was outside of san francisco then moved even further south away from san francisco i'm curious what the economics there looked like and i'm curious about what the the foot traffic difference looks like between like giants who are in the city of San Francisco uh, and the 49ers. It's hard
1: because the number of games, there's like a lot of differences there, but I'm curious. No, it's a a good parallel. And on top of that, this can can get really complex, but on top of that, California has like, it's called a jock tax. They take some ridiculous percentage, I don't know, five, 10% of professional athletes' income, the state does. So can you imagine if, I don't know the specifics for Washington, D.C. and the state of Virginia, but like if Washington, D.C. had a familiar tax to that, you could be talking millions of dollars in tax income that come from the players making 50 million dollars a year that just disappears because no longer are they in your metro area. I think you actually just got to the heart of the matter
0: here is that this is really just a protest because it's no taxation without representation.
1: So they're moving to a place where they can get taxed, <laughs> where and, they, and they can every really vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: No, I I hear you. That is a, it's um, that'd be material for the city. I don't know exactly how. Yeah, the tax in in DC works, but that'd be material for the city. And and then the uh, all the the transportation issues that are going to come along with something like this is just it's
1: now this is where it's in development. If it goes through a, uh, open in like five years. This is where the numbers that get thrown around are just chaos. So the Alexandria Economic Development Partnership says Potomac Yard will generate $12 in economic impact and over 30,000 jobs in coming decades. One, if any of that's true, it just takes 30,000 jobs from one spot to another spot. It's not like they're brand new jobs. Yes, true. And I got to pause you there. Yeah.
0: So this is kind of like Dow 36,000 where it's saying that there will be 12.1 billion dollars of a rather specific figure and 30,000 jobs another rather specific figure coming over decades mm-hmm. is that two decades is that eight decades is that 12 decades like th- there has to be something more specific than that because it so, really for for that number if you're talking anything over 10 years it feels kind of ridiculous
1: Now we go to the so-called experts. My boy, John Charles Bradbury, a professor of economics at Kenshaw State University, who says, is there going to be some economic development and potential for this deal if it goes down? I think very little. Stadiums tend to be poor economic development tools. One opinion, but he studies this stuff all day. Then we tie back to the batter in Atlanta. Again, I'm trying to find the exact number for you. And the current estimates are that it's running at a deficit of $15 million a year. So, this playbook is well played out. You say, I'm bringing these high value events to your city or your suburban area. In order for you to have that, you have to write me a massive check and we'll pay it back over time. And is this a completely comprehensive article? I don't know. But there's another guy in here from Professor Economics from Smith College that claims similar things about property value increases and everything else. I think in general, and listen, I'm a sports fan. I think in general the taxpayers get sold a bill of goods so they yeah. can write hundreds of millions of dollars of checks and then there's no way even 30 years later to really say did those assumptions come true because there's so many other factors happening <laughs> like because it's the economy yeah. and it, it interest rates play a role and migration and job creation like how much plays a role and in- does this does this get voted on by the taxpayers or is it just something that happens to the people that live there? You know, I'm not crystal clear on that, but I don't think so. The current agreement to move to Virginia is basically something that the yeah. owner of these teams and the governor of Virginia have agreed to. And I believe he has economic okay. subsidies okay. at his disposal to make that happen. Now, the even the more interesting point is now the city of D.C. is trying to come up with a somewhat comparable package to keep them at their current home with renovations. But again, they're, they're being asked to write a $600 million check because it's yeah. a public good to have these events in your city. It's all a little backwards. Uh, are they negotiating with the treasury? Like, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think
0: DC, if they wanted to, I've seen DC come up with money like when, when they you need know, to. Uh... We, ju- we just fought off inflation. I'm not a big fan of printing more money, I'm just saying.
1: We, we might need a, if you want to do a deep dive, we might need an expert. This all broke this week. And I don't think that Mm. it's all crystal clear, but, um, both municipalities, well, the state of Virginia and the municipality of DC are in a little bit of a bidding war here, Mm. and they're probably in a bidding war based on poor economic assumptions. That won't actually come true. Well, you mentioned california earlier you can take the california point of view that's we're not going to give any public money for stadiums and then you have all the oakland teams leave and go to las vegas dirty vegas the
0: thing you didn't ask me at the beginning of this you asked me what my favorite nba franchise is you didn't ask me what my favorite nhl franchise is yeah washington capitals i don't know any of the rules of (laughs) hockey but i selected this team based on nhl 93. oh and Gosh. my heart has been with them ever since. Um, it reminds me so, of all Rats, man.
1: I am devastated about that. <laughs> we will all watch right. it. I, I find this is not only the tie-in between economics, forecasting, investment, sports, and people's livelihoods. Like mm-hmm. It's just the yeah. most fascinating intersection of life to me right here. That was sports economics. I'm going to reach another fishbowl to continue the
0: livelihood talk and discuss this post that came out from Carson Group called Things You Don't See in a Recession. What what this piece is saying is that there's still a general consensus that 2024 will see a recession in the US. And it's saying, but there's stuff you don't see when a recession happens. And it names what they are. I'm going to walk through them, and then we shall discuss. The first thing it throws out is stock markets at all-time highs second thing people traveling and spending a lot the thanksgiving that just happened by the way highest on record for travel is what it's saying consumers are in better shape than what the media is portraying it's the next thing that they're throwing out so consumers are healthy manufacturing is doing better than than what it seems like people think and then last it goes back to consumers and says the consumer balance sheets are also in better shape than they they have been in a while these are all the points it brings up and says these are not things if we're going to have a recession you don't see this stuff when a recession happens that's the take on this piece i'll give you some room to discuss
1: yeah i mean yeah recessions don't happen when stocks hit all-time highs but all it takes is three weeks of the stock market falling off a cliff before stocks aren't at all-time highs anymore I think I like the thought here, but it ends up turning into uh, like trying to predict the future. And I don't know if we're going to have a recession or not. I think you can make a reasonable, reasonably believable case on both sides of the issue. So I kind of say, who cares? Let's just make sure that my personal balance sheet is where it needs to be. My investments are in a reasonable place and then live to fight another day. Yeah, I think that's right the two
0: biggest takeaways I took from this was basically nothing that it said in the in the piece itself (laughs) the the first is that what you do see before a downfall of any kind is people talking about how there won't be a downfall (laughs) that's what that's what you do see so just the, the meta point of reading a piece that says this is not This is not the situation that occurs before something happens. This piece is a piece that is written before something happens. That doesn't say that something is about to, you know, go down or not, but uh, but that's that was one thing. And the second was we was the use of data. And the maybe not the misuse of data, because these are these the charts they show just are it just is the data. Like there isn't there's nothing wrong with the charts themselves, but we did discuss a few weeks ago how. Uh, using data, you just have to kind of be careful Well, reading data. I'll say you should be careful with it and what you end up doing with it. It's not because the data in here is wrong. It's just because when you look at things in the aggregate, they can potentially show you a story that doesn't exist. Once you start diving down into the segmentation. And so the stock market, for example, regardless of what happens, to the stock market, the thing could go up for another 50 mm-hmm. years and we never see another crash again, unlikely, but it could but what this is showing is stocks are at all-time highs yes and we also discussed the the difference between the S&P 7 and the S&P 493 yeah that's different and so if you're saying stocks are at all-time highs or is Nvidia at an all-time high right and you can like yeah. name some of the others like that's the, there's a there's a difference uh between those those two takes uh and so y- you can go through all of these I'd also even say for consumerism it's interesting I mean I'm I know I, I told you I put my soapbox away, but I'm pulling it out for one or a second. Is that there is a? I'll say there is an argument. I'm not going to say I'm making this argument. But an argument between saying between when you look at the the two points of consumers are in a good position. Look how much they're spending. Those <laughs> those two things can <laughs> potentially be. It won't odds. be in a good position soon. <laughs> yeah, like it, and. I, I personally, I mean, as as our listeners know, I personally think that consumers are just driving themselves to a point where they are more fragile. It might turn out okay for them, but the fragility yeah. of consumerism, I think, is is higher. And so the record spending, and specifically it's record spending on credit cards, is this doesn't name that, but that is what's happening, is not necessarily a good sign
1: uh, for consumers. So interesting post. I'm going to humble brag for a second, but it's only because I, I think it will articulate a point. The S&P 500 is up 23.4% year-to-date, which is insane. Everyone who listens to the show knows that I was not bullish that the S&P 500 was going to do a 23% gain at this year, at the start of the year. But my portfolio as of this week was up 24 25%. So I didn't allow my poor economic guess to hurt my performance right like i wasn't ready to take the chips off the table and that's where i think i really go with this is i don't know what's going to happen i never would have guessed that stocks would have performed this strongly this year but
0: yeah we differed in that we differed in that that take back in the day but mostly i never would have thought that stocks should have performed this well i still don't think shocks stocks should have performed this well (laughs) but yeah but yeah and still no i yeah i hear you it's uh the the game you end up playing is the game you end up playing and you should play the game for the long term and so what happens this year what happens next year is what it is just don't place all your chips in a way that's gonna make you at the death line you can take these are these articles and like one thing that i would hate for people to do is to read this and be like all right that means I'm all in, right? Forget about all the allocation. Forget about my savings. Like it's time. Yeah. Nothing's going to go down. Like do not do not do that,
1: but just keep playing a game is all it is. But those are my two big takeaways. I like it. I'm going to reach deep into this fishbowl. Hope that I don't get eaten by any fish and pull out. Oh my goodness. One of my that's, favorite That's how deep topics. you're going? That's how deep. My hand's all wet. Can you see? Uh, <laughs> all right. There's a survey. Piper Sandler, September 2023. Top five fashion brands according to Gen Z. Ooh, okay. This is the next generation. When you said said deep, you meant like pretty shallow. (laughs) Really shallow. Really shallow. So I want to say this quote is from Jim Grant, but I could be wrong. This is from memory. That one of the favorite things I read in my youth was Um, Something saying that basically regardless of how cool your brand is, when you see your dad wearing it, it becomes uncool for you. And that explains the cyclical nature of so many things in life. It's just like, oh, I grew up and I watched my parents or my role models do X and I want to rebel against X so that the winds of change happen in some case just because of the counterculture nature of the way humans think. So, what you're telling me
0: is that we should be wary, given my own wardrobe choices,
1: of Hoka and Costco sweatpants. Hey, your son's going to wear nothing but tuxedos, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rebellions t-shirts, all right? So, I am floored. I'm absolutely floored when I see this survey because it's been this way for a while. The number yeah. one footwear choice of Gen Z, 61% Nike. That's the number one footwear choice of millennials. And in this case, maybe even Gen X, I don't have those stats in front of me, but Nike's been popular for a long time and appears to continue to be popular. New Balance surprised me though. I know it's a small percentage on here, but still like is Normcore coming back? That seems I mean, New Balance at 3%, Vans at 3%, Adidas at 7%, Converse at 9%. Those who don't know should know that Nike owns Converse clothing wise number one by a wide margin 35 percent nike that's how are they me. pulling this off
0: i don't know how and nike stock is not doing well right at least the last i checked it but it was a few months ago so it might be fine now
1: i mean number two uh, with six percent lululemon four percent american eagle three percent pack sun and three percent shine disposable fashion so it basically, for me, it's just the, the Nike thing blows me away. Far and away, number one choice on footwear and clothing for Gen Z. Now, can we talk handbags, Doogles? Please do. So, the great thing about handbags is they match any outfit, right? <laughs> is that... You're supposed to laugh at my joke. Is that, is, that, um, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> number one handbag choice of Gen Z. Man, I don't know how much I believe this because I'm not sure how many Gen Z has a handbag with a these brands but apparently it's coach at 19 percent well hold
0: on before you before you actually to that same point before you go into them just to like put a finer point on gen z is that the average age of the folks in the survey was under 16 years old Mm -hmm. okay so now with
1: that now talk about these brands yeah so what's so one handbags are yeah i think it's a pretty limited market um But so take it for what it's worth. At 11% is Louis Vuitton, which with Coach Prime, that's probably gonna be number one next year. Just wait. Um, Then Kate Spade at 10%, Michael Coors at 8%. I mean, I don't know what the typical handbag breakdown, but none of that really surprised me. I guess more more than anything, I'm kind of surprised handbags are on this survey.
0: Okay, let's go back to, let's connect a couple dots here. So you're trying to tell me, not you, but I'm talking to the authors of the last post yeah. they are trying to tell me that consumers have healthy habits right now when the top brands for 16 year olds <laughs> are coach Louis Vuitton, Kate Spade, Michael Kors, and Chanel. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess Again, I, that is, not me, that is but the authors from the
1: previous <laughs> yes, article, yeah, exactly. yes, they're yeah. telling you that.
0: Okay. Fair enough. I do hear you that the uh, the staying power, of some of these is super powerful. Pac Sun I thought was fully out of business until I saw them at a mall a couple of days ago.
1: Fully out of business or the fourth most popular brand <laughs> <laughs> among sixteen year olds. I am so I am in tune. Okay, <laughs>
0: I'm in tune with what's going
1: on. Here's the flip side. You I still don't think you've made it through the new Morgan Housel book yet. But the first story in Uh, same as ever. Morgan's new book is a nameless CEO of a fortune 500 company that flies into Omaha in 2008 during the, the depths of the financial crisis. And Buffett's driving him around Omaha and the guy goes, you know, like, I'm really worried. Is it, is anything ever going to be the same as it was before? And Buffett goes, hey, do you know what the best-selling candy bar was? And I'll get the dates wrong. In like 1945? And the guy goes, no. He he goes, Snickers. Wait, what's the best-selling candy bar today? Snickers. And then he goes, do you know what the best-selling soda in 1960 was? And the guy goes, I don't know, Coke? Yeah, do you know what the best-selling soda is today? Coke? So maybe Nike is firmly established its position as the player and the staying power here is legit. But it always surprises me when it comes to fashion. I feel like drinking the same soda as your parents is different than wearing the same brands as your parents. Yeah, I think that's right, too.
0: Gen Zers are fascinating. I'll I'll do one quick hit. Very quick. Actually, it goes. Uh, it's related. I'll say it to the last post that I I discussed there. Ben Carlson came out with this piece that I'll just say it's basically about doomsayers. And it's called Rich Author, Poor Readers, which is a play off of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kioski. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Uh, mm-hmm. Kiyosaki, I think. Uh, so it's a play off of his his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And what he's saying is that the doomsaying has gotten so popular that to him, it's kind of sickening. We've discussed the perma-bear doomsayers. He, and he also says, he's like, actually, I think... Uh, he says, I think bearish analysis is quite helpful, but just saying that the world is going to end every six months is not quite helpful is his mm-hmm. point. And he, he has this, this graph of Robert Kiyosaki's uh, tweets from the last like 12 years and shows it on the, um, against a graph of the S and P 500 and it's just, it's kind of fun, but anyway, that's easy and cheeky to do, but so he's got that, but that's a. I think that the point is, is one that we've discussed and is one worth discussing. And then mostly, though, mostly, the thing I enjoyed most out of all of this was there's this screenshot that I think he took from someone else. But it's a screenshot of someone's YouTube channel. <laughs> and it might be the best thing I've ever seen. So this guy, seemingly on a daily basis, has him... With some background of like a of of a company, or it might just be a caption on a retailer on fire. (laughs) Yeah, every and he comes out with this video. I'm just looking at these
1: timelines every day, and so he gets seems like like hundreds of twenty to thirty minutes that just says (laughs) the world is about to explode. Yeah, so
0: to give you some flavor, I'll go through like the first eight of these. So chaos begins Monday. Him with serious face, fire in the background. Walmart, the facade of a Walmart store, fire in the background. Goldman Sachs, fire in the background. Fidelity, fire in the background. Nation in free fall, fire in the background. It has started, fire in the background. Hell is coming, (laughs) fire in the background. This is, and he gets hundreds of thousands of views, it looks like, just, you know, just kind of looking at these on a weekly basis i mean this is just this is just wonderful i mean I we're in the wrong
1: market <laughs> what, what were we thinking
0: oh uh, there you go that, that's it quick hit i got i got no other takes on this i just i found this to be amusing
1: this is where buff is so smart though like he's the he's pretty much the only one even fo even brilliant folks like howard Marks and um jeremy grantham and others will will say well when they go on CNBC, they'll say, tell me what you think. And, and they'll say, I'm looking at the fundamentals and rightfully so. Like Grantham's the easiest one to pick on. The yep. fundamentals are elevated. I'm concerned about it. But Buffett kind of says, America's great. It's the best economy in the world, has the best rules in the world, and I'm going to bet on America long term. That's a smarter take because he's effectively just zooming out and it's impossible pr- to predict the short term. So even though someone like Grantham and and listen, I'm not comparing Grantham to the fire guy on YouTube. <laughs> just want to make that crystal clear. But like, it's really hard to say this is what's going to happen in the next 12 months. It's basically impossible. So maybe you just get out of that game completely. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. My <laughs> I just I love his face. It's the exact same
0: facial expression <laughs> that he has. And all it's It's just it's such it's so good. It's just such a good
1: image. I'm uh. so scared. All right. Um, this is going to be a little quiz for you, Doegles. I sent okay. you this, but I don't think you looked at it. So don't pull up anything on the computer. All right. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is, and I, I learned this in business school, right? You can look at any business, any restaurant, any whatever, and if you're curious about how much they pay in rent, what their profit margins look like, whatever, you can basically reverse engineer their financials pretty quickly. And get a good idea of exactly what that business is like from an economic perspective. Well, where's this going to go? Okay. Okay. There is a chart that came out for median income versus population density demographics Mm. for some of your favorite brands, right? Some of my favorite brands? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know what else to call them. Yeah. Uh, uh, But what's fascinating about this is this is along those same lines. Like You can figure out the sweet spot of customer demographics. For some of these really popular places like a Walmart or a Kroger or a Pottery Barn or a Whole Foods, right? And I'm curious how well you know this because what that means often, it's just fascinating to me, is like you can know a lot about a person's income typically by which stores they shop at because they're being specifically targeted based on their demographics to actually end up in that store. And there's so go is this is this a rural to urban graph? It's not only a rural to urban graph, but then it's also a median income graph. So but basically, those, those kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Eh, it's not, in some, not some quite, cases, not quite. You okay. have the really rich farmers that they're yeah, no, that's uh, true. Yeah, it's yeah, not fully. It's it's yeah. correlative. Yeah, but okay. for the most part, yes, this graph goes up into the right. Okay, okay, all right. So which would you would you prefer to do your guess on? rural to urban or on income we'll just have you do one income okay income all right so i'm gonna ask for a median income number for target 75k pretty close about 80 okay, okay. okay. costco 95k 85 okay a little higher than target napa auto parts 60k 65 so far your uh your guess is right family dollar and general dollar or dollar general family dollar dollar general same income yeah there's like 40 50k it's like somewhere in there according to this and it's median figure it's like maybe 58 Yeah, here's here's where i want your take with with those yeah with those i'm gonna do uh an additional follow-up so family dollar is either more urban tilt or more rural tilt what's your guess more urban dollar general is is basically at the lower left portion of this graph it's like the most rural and the lowest income right and if you've driven through i don't know some rural spots you see you're driving on that two lane highway dollar general is like the only thing around um Mm -hmm. But that's their whole market. I find it fascinating. All right, um, restoration hardware. Oh, me I mean guess. that's like real fans uh, One hundred and fifty again. Median here um, looks like one hundred and five. Oh, they they mix those numbers. <laughs> whole Foods it's similar, right there. You're right. Okay, um, Lowe's and Home Depot. Ooh, maybe like. 90, 95? Really about 75. Okay. Um, lower I than see. I expected. I could see. I could see that. And Home Depot is slightly more urban than Lowe's, which kind of surprised me. Okay. Hmm. All right. Um, where did um, you, you say one the, here? Uh, the Napa Auto Parts was? Napa is really rural and about 65000 Really? 000 income okay. of your okay. target demographic. Yeah. So last one here. This one surprised me. Because um, we talked Costco, and remember Costco's median income profile is like eighty five thousand. Yeah. What about Sam's Club? $65,000. Okay. So again, you could just watch people coming in and out of stores. Pull this handy graph out. No, more <laughs> than you ever wanted to know. Is this is this what you were going to do this weekend? <laughs> Not at all. But I I, I think it's fascinating. Oh, it's great. It cracks me yeah. up. Oh, love it i think it's a wrap all right thank you to uh the premium subscribers out there um we really appreciate that helps the show go you can support the show and get shows early if you go to skippy listener mail we talked about it today we had a good laugh um and you heard that jingle so hit us with more of that skippy at gmail.com and then all things uh related to the show are skippydoogles.com. thank you